the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. We see before us a lost world. We see before us a world consumed with sin and wickedness, with pain, with anguish, with hurt, with loneliness. We see every evil thing has come to pass in America. Now, does the gospel of Jesus have anything to say to this? Well, the gospel of our America today is powerless. And we have nothing to say. But 
let's go back to the scriptures. Let's look at the big picture that Jesus gave us regarding the work of the kingdom of heaven, the work of the gospel. You may be shocked today as we walk through that big picture. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, and with me in studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're from the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge. Now, just a piece of business. We are rejoicing today because you have been so generous in covering the cost of this radio broadcast. We're coming to the end of the month, and instead of owing a couple thousand dollars, we yet only owe, out of almost $4,000, $188. We're asking, instead of our doing an offertory day, we want to teach. We want to lift up Jesus, not talk about money. So would you call right now, 877 534 0780. Julie is our producer today. Would you tell her the amount you will pledge to cover that $188? Thank you very much. Yesterday, a sister called and gave another $54 on PayPal, but it results in our having $52. So it's $188. We are yet short. And by the way, why don't we just go way beyond $188? Why don't you open your heart and give sacrificially to the work of God? And we'll do our part. We'll proclaim to you the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And you'll see a wonderful new vision today of what that's all about. So call right now, 877 877- Five three four zero seven eight zero. You don't need to go on air. You'll simply talk with our producer Julie, and she'll give you the address where you can send that check, or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and click on the donate button. But we ask that you not go in debt with your credit card. Only give out of what God has given you. And God bless you as you have already given. We praise God for each one of you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. You gave not to us. You gave to Jesus and the work of the kingdom. That's what this is all about. I want to share with you quickly a scripture. First, we want to pray. Almighty God, we come earnestly seeking to understand for our culture and our day we have turned aside from the work of the gospel and of the kingdom and we've interpreted it as something that it is not. And Lord, we've been stymied, we've been stopped and the gospel's not going forward. And sin is rising. The ugly head of the devil is apparent everywhere in our nation, our Supreme Court, our White House, our Congress, in the homes of people. Lord, come with power. And change the course of America, for you have not given up on us. And I praise your name for this. Lord, bless the word that's spoken. In the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Luke 13, 
verses 18 through 21. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? To what can I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that a man tossed into his garden. It grew and became a tree. The birds of the air nestled in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Yes, so we're going to talk about the big picture of God's kingdom today. And this is so exciting. I feel like when you hear this, you're going to say the gospel isn't good news. It's the best news ever to come to the face of the earth. If you catch this, you're going to dance. (laughs) Good news is an understatement. So the kingdom of God, Jesus compares it to first a mustard seed. And if you've cooked with mustard seed, you know it's quite small. And it can grow into a rather large tree. And secondly, he compares it to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal or flour until the whole thing was leavened. So today we'd like to share the big picture of the kingdom. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus leave? And what are we supposed to do while Jesus is gone? Now, we find this big picture expressed in a parable in Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. As they, the disciples, listened to this, Jesus told them another parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought God's kingdom would appear right away. He said, A certain man who was born into royalty went to a distant land to receive his kingdom and then return. He called together ten servants and gave each of them money worth four months' wages. He said, Do business with this until I return. His citizens hated him, so they sent a representative after him who said, We don't want this man to be our king. After receiving his kingdom, he returned and called the servants to whom he had given the money to find out how much they had earned. The first servant came forward and said, Your money has earned a return of 1,000%. The king replied, Excellent! You are a good servant. Because you've been faithful in a small matter, you will have authority over ten cities. The second servant came and said, Master, your money has made a return of 500%. To this one, the king said, You will have authority over five cities. Another servant came and said, Master, here is your money. I wrapped it up in a scarf for safekeeping. I was afraid of you because you are a stern man. You withdraw what you haven't deposited and you harvest what you haven't planted. The king replied, I will judge you by the words of your own mouth, you worthless servant. You knew, didn't you, that I'm a stern man, withdrawing what I didn't deposit and harvesting what I didn't plant. Why then didn't you put my money in the bank? Then when I arrived, at least I could have gotten it back with interest. He said to his attendants, take his money and give it to the one who has ten times as much. But master, they said, he already has ten times as much. He replied, I say to you that everyone who has will be given more, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for my enemies who don't want me as their king, bring them here and slaughter them before me. 
So note that this parable was given because the disciples thought that God's kingdom would appear immediately. In other words, they thought that Jesus would immediately set up his reign over the earth. But Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like leaven that works its way through dough. Now, leaven is simply sourdough starter. It's a small, yeasty ball of dough that you add to your main ball of dough, usually flour and water, and you work it in, let it sit, and it quickly doubles and triples in size. So by this parable, Jesus is showing that the kingdom of God is progressively brought in. It doesn't drop down from heaven and show up all at once. So when we come to this parable in Luke 19 of the king who goes to a distant land, Jesus is letting his disciples know that it would be they and not Jesus who does this work of progressively bringing in the kingdom while Jesus is away. This is what it means when the king says, I harvest what I didn't plant. I withdraw what I didn't deposit. It's because his servants have done that work. And when Jesus comes back, it is to set up finally that reign of him actually physically on the earth. But the kingdom is to be brought in progressively by us until that time comes when Jesus does come to actually physically reign on the earth. Now, we want to ask, okay, what is meant by this kingdom? So to understand this, we're going to look at the context in which this parable appears. So specifically, we're going to look at what Jesus was doing. So the book of Luke begins with the conception, the prophecies, and the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And very swiftly, by chapter 4, we move into Jesus' ministry. Now, the first instance in Luke of Jesus' teaching and preaching, this is how Jesus describes his ministry. In other words, this is how Luke introduces the work of Jesus. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, or the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Luke 4, 18 and 19. And then we see Jesus actually doing these things. So from Luke 4 on to about Luke 10, we see Jesus calming a storm on the sea. We see him casting out many demons, healing many who are sick, there's the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus sends out the 12, and then later he sends out the 72 with power to preach, to heal, to cast out demons. And then beginning around chapter 10 and going through about chapter 20, we find recorded almost exclusively Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God. So these 10 chapters of Jesus speaking about the kingdom are, in a sense, introduced by the miracle-working power of God on the earth to set men and women free of every bondage and every oppression of the devil. We see them set free from the power of sin, from the power of demons, from the power of sickness and illness. We see them set free from hunger as Jesus feeds them in the wilderness. And so it's plain that now is the time of the Lord's favor. So when we come to this parable in Luke 19, 
we understand that Jesus is speaking of himself when he says a certain man was born into royalty. He's speaking of himself as the king. And he's going to a distant land to receive the kingdom and then return. So before he leaves, he calls his servants together, gives them his money, and tells them to do his business until he returns. So what are we to understand is this business? Did Jesus mean that we're just supposed to tell sinners that Jesus died for them and then it's not our fault if we have little or no success? Did Jesus mean that we're supposed to bring people to Jesus? In other words, get them to make a profession of faith, to start attending church regularly and read their Bibles. What would the disciples have understood this business to be? Well, all they had seen Jesus do up to this point, they would understand to be his business. So what had they seen him do? They'd seen him preach, pray with great power, heal, cast out demons, forgive sins, raise the dead, and make disciples. They had always known Jesus to live and walk in both power and righteousness. They did not know of a Jesus or of a gospel without power. They did not know of a Christianity without revival. So when the disciples heard this parable, they understood that they were to be doing the same things that Jesus had done. They were to do the exact things that Jesus would do if he were still there, if he were not to go away on this journey. They were to take care of his business, in other parables his vineyard, in the place of Jesus, as if Jesus himself were taking care of it. And as they're doing this, they know that Jesus is going to return and take an account of their work. He's going to come back and he wants to see that they were successful, that they were fruitful. He wants to see that they did indeed build the kingdom, grow the crop, trade the money. He wants to see that they built the kingdom while he was gone, the way that he would have built it if he had been there. Now Jesus said this most forcibly on the night of the Last Supper just before he was arrested. This is John fourteen twelve. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now how are we to do the works that Jesus did? How are you, or how am I, to heal the sick? How are we to raise the dead, or cast out demons, or speak in other languages, or make disciples of all nations? How are we to bring God's kingdom to the earth as it is in heaven? While this is possible, only by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is where our two opening scriptures come in again. So Jesus came as the first mustard seed. He said that he would fall to the ground and die, and as a result would bear much fruit. That's John twelve twenty four. By this, Jesus meant that his death and resurrection would allow for the Holy Spirit and fire to be sent to anyone who would ask, that's Luke eleven thirteen, or to anyone who would obey God, that's Acts five thirty two. So the kingdom of God began in its seed form, or in its leaven form, 
when Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began his ministry. And we see that even during Jesus' lifetime, he began to give this power to others, as we said, to the twelve, to the seventy, as he sent them out to villages, towns, and cities. However, the new covenant promise is that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. That's Joel 2.28. So that is all who will ask and obey God will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Now this began on the day of Pentecost, when the 120 in the upper room were baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. And then, through their combined efforts and the preaching of Peter, they added another 3,000 to the church that very day. And all these 3,000 likewise received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, Repent, therefore, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now it's very clear. It's very clear that Jesus established on the earth the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And his intention was that the church should do the business of the vineyard. The church should do the business of building the business of heaven, which is the kingdom of God. Now today we have a cultural, institutional church that consumes everything It's like a grocery store that's locked the doors and won't allow the people to come in and have access to the food. And everything is consumed by the in-group, by the institutional group. The world walks by, it has no interest because it doesn't have any food to eat. Now, you may have a question about the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Didn't he come? Or did he come to forgive sins? And of course the answer is yes. When Jesus forgave the sins of the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof. And the word forgive is ephemy in the Greek, meaning to remove. He removed the man's sins. He set him free. And the man could then choose to be a part of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Originally, John the Baptist gave the Lord's people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Ephemy, the removal of sin. Luke one seventy seven. We would say that those who were baptized by John were, quote, saved, unquote. Their sins were forgiven. They were walking clean and in righteousness before God. They had fled from, quote, the wrath to come, unquote. However, John the Baptist's ministry was limited in time. He was beheaded shortly after Jesus began his ministry. And spatially, that is, he was mostly confined to the people of Israel. Today we see in Peter's sermon on Pentecost, the death and resurrection of Jesus does allow for repentance and remission, that is, forgiveness and removal of sins for all who could not be baptized by John the Baptist. You remember, after John, the disciples began to baptize people. Jesus did not baptize people. 
It was the disciples baptizing. So we receive this through Jesus. That is, we receive the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is only a preparation for receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the doorway into the kingdom of God. Now, many who followed John the Baptist never received the word of Jesus and were content to live in John the Baptist's preaching of the remission of sin. Now, this preparation work is expressed again by Peter when he preaches to the crowd after healing the lame man outside of the temple. Peter says, Repent, then turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everyone and everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Acts three nineteen through 23 Again, here, the repentance, the removal of sin, is the preparation to receive the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. To refuse to receive Jesus as the King, whom God has appointed to love and obey him as the King of heaven, is to entirely reject God. And all such will be completely cut off. That is, their soul will be eternally lost, and they will be cast into eternal fire on the day of judgment. This is why we see over and over throughout the Gospels that Jesus declares that anyone who does not believe in him will not be saved. He's not speaking primarily about belief in order to have the remission of sins. He's speaking about the belief that God appointed him to be the king of heaven and earth, the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus said, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil, can I more carefully define that? Everyone who does sin Sin is the evil being spoken of here. Hates the light and does not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now note here that Jesus is saying that everyone who does sin or evil hates the light that is, hates Jesus, and will not come into the light. That is, they will not submit to Jesus. They will not receive Jesus as the King of heaven and earth. They will not receive him as their Lord. But everyone who practices or does the truth 
does come to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. Now, I want to stop just a moment here. Many people today, and I pray you're not one of them, they want their sins forgiven, but they believe they're going to continue sinning the rest of their life and that God's just going to agree with that. The scriptures don't teach that. You see, the gospel is not that your sins are forgiven. That was John the Baptist's message. It was an important message, and it must be proclaimed. But the gospel is that your sins are forgiven and removed and you have entered into the kingdom of heaven. You have entered into the kingdom of God and you are now doing the business of God, the business of Jesus for the salvation of the world. Now what we see here is the division between those who have already repented and are righteous and those who have refused to repent and remain evil. So Jesus is saying, and this is from John 3, that those people who have refused to repent, who refuse the baptism of John, those who are still doing evil, that those people will not receive him as their king. On the other hand, those who have repented, who do love the truth, and who do what is right, and live righteous lives, these people will gladly receive Jesus as the Messiah. In other words, they will gladly receive Jesus as the one sent by God. And this is why repent and believe always go together. Jesus said that if your deeds were evil, you would not come to him. In other words, if you've not repented, you will not believe. Likewise, if you have repented, it is because you've set your heart to love God. And so you will gladly receive Jesus. You cannot repent and then not believe, nor can you believe without repenting. And to return to our point, those who believe in Jesus will receive the baptism or gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've worked with many people in sharing the gospel, sharing the kingdom of heaven, calling them to repent so that they can enter that kingdom and here's the, here's the block. If you repent of your sin that you have committed and you believe that that sin is now removed, then the true hurdle comes. It was a free gift to take away, to remove sins of the past. So now you can start over. But what are you going to start over doing? And the trouble comes as you begin to recognize that it means you no longer build your kingdom. But that is fundamentally repentance. So that's why I say here, if you've set your heart to love God, in other words, that is the very nature of repentance. It's not saying, well, I'm just going to cut out some of the really bad outward sin of my life. It's that you change your heart so that you love God and you hate evil. So you're not just settling for the forgiveness of past sins, and now you can continue walking in your worldly way, building your kingdom. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. 
It's not true repentance. True repentance is, I turn aside from my life, and I receive the life of Jesus Christ. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is part of the bigger picture. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for my own personal spiritual growth. To return to our leaven image, Jesus was the yeast or the leaven that was added to the lump of dough. And on the day of Pentecost, we see a strong leavening action. We see a multiplication, first as the 120 re received the Holy Spirit and fire, and then again in the same day as the 3,000 receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then as we continue to read the book of Acts, we see the continued multiplication of the church. So don't say, I have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and yet there is no power or true purity in my life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to do the same things that Jesus did. And so if if you say, I've had a wonderful religious experience and I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues, and all of that may very well be a wonderful blessing from God, but it's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens in the life of a person who is now a part of the kingdom of heaven and the leavening action is going through their life and they're now doing the same things that Jesus did. Yes, they're doing business with the money that Jesus has given them so that there's a return. And what we see by and large, though there is some opposition to the church, even as there was to Jesus, what we see overall happening is entire communities brought under the lordship of Jesus. The gospel narratives of Jesus' ministry, as well as the book of Acts, give us examples of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come to the earth. For example, at Ephesus, the turning to the Lord was so powerful that the modern-day equivalent of millions of dollars worth of occult books were burnt publicly. That's in Acts 19.19. 19. In Jerusalem, quote, large numbers of both men and women were brought to the Lord, and crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and all of them were healed. That's Acts 5.14-16. through 16. And this onward advance of the kingdom continued for centuries. In the mid-300s, the emperor of the Roman Empire, Julian, attempted to revive the pagan beliefs and practices of the ancient Romans. And he was infuriated because he couldn't find people who knew how to make the pagan offerings or how to perform the pagan rituals. And his attempt to revive paganism in Rome failed and he died rather tragically not long after that. So what we see is that within 300 years, the church had so thoroughly eradicated paganism from the Roman Empire that it was impossible to even bring it back. 
When we read of recent or modern day revivals, we see the same kind of advance of the kingdom of God. During the Welsh revival, crime so stopped that courts were empty. The judges didn't have any cases to hear. Bars closed for lack of business, and former drunkards became church leaders. They formed prayer and Bible study meetings. Let's carefully define the word we're using, revival. By revival, we do not mean an occasional coming of the presence of God. We don't mean that suddenly people have an influx of the presence of God with some miracles. Revival is a term we're using today to describe the New Testament church, which was the normative or normal life of the church. Revival should be going on constantly, 24 by 7, every day. The revival should be moving in the church, and the fact that it's not indicates a great falling away. And it was prophesied that there would be a great falling away at the end of time. We now are experiencing that great falling away. And we must rise up now, and you have to ask the question, what would a revival look like today, Alexandra? It would probably look something like the mosques closing because so many Muslims would be converting to Christ. Maybe the mosques being turned into churches by all the Muslims who've been converted. Grocery stores would stop selling alcohol, halal meat, lottery tickets, and tobacco because no one would buy it. You would go to a gym or to a grocery store and they wouldn't be playing the worldly music they wouldn't have the music videos on the television and everywhere you went whether it was a coffee shop a gym a grocery store if you were on the metro in DC if you're riding the bus everyone would be talking about Jesus they'd be talking about his kingdom the revival that's going on they would be telling each other about their testimonies of how they'd been healed how they'd been saved they would be talking about the other people who they had seen healed or converted or delivered from demons. And this is the very thing that Jesus expects. That's what we see in this parable in Luke 19. Jesus expects us to be doing the very things that he did. He expects the kingdom to be continually moving forward in his absence. That is the reason why he came. And it is the gospel. So when we speak about this advance of the kingdom or revival, we're speaking about the sure primary will of God. This, if there's one thing you could have zero doubt about, it is that God intends to bring his kingdom on the earth. I just want to say here that God's purpose to redeem the earth is motivated by his love. John 3, 16, 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now is not this a wonderful basis of prayer for worldwide revival? But let's dig into it a little bit. Now, there is a tendency today to think things 
as Christians like this. It would be nice if God healed the sick, but the salvation of their soul is more important. So let's stop and ask ourselves, did Jesus ever say anything like this? Did Jesus ever model this? Is there anywhere in the Gospels that we think that Jesus didn't care or didn't think that healing the sick was important? I don't see it anywhere. Jesus thought it was very important. He stayed up all night. He didn't sleep so that he could heal thousands of people. And I would turn this and say, which of you who are parents has seen your child sick and not been willing to do anything in your power to help them? And those of us who aren't parents, think of the people you've seen sitting on the side of the road. You've probably seen a man sitting in a wheelchair with no legs, begging on the side of the street. And which of us hasn't felt a moving of compassion? Even if the person is mean, dirty, or rude, we still feel that we want to help them. We wish that we could grow their legs back. We don't want them to have to live the rest of their life like this. We wish we could help them get clean, get a home. We'll see them sitting outside in the hot sun and we want to give them water. We see them in the rain and we think they must be desperate to be out in this weather. They're cold, they're shivering. We see them in the cold winter weather and we think that jacket doesn't look warm. It has holes in it. He doesn't have gloves or a hat. I'm going to bring him a pair of gloves or I'll bring him a hat. And that person could probably curse you out to your face and you would probably still give them the water or the gloves or the hat or the food that you brought them. Now, if this is how we feel, and even sinners often feel this way, how much more does God feel for those who are maimed or crippled those who have cancer, those who are insane or homeless or abused. And not only does God have those feelings, but he actually has the power to heal those people. And are we to have such a merciless view of God that we think he wouldn't heal a sick person simply because their soul is more important? There are countless examples in scripture of Jesus healing people who did not become his disciples, or who did not even thank him. The ten lepers that were cleansed, only one of them turned and thanked Jesus. And then we see in revivals, like the revival in Argentina, that many were healed who never went on to become Christians. Now, why is this? Well, it's very simple. Because God loves everything and everybody he made. God takes no delight in any kind of suffering, in any kind of disease, in poverty or hunger. And he sent his son to save the world from these things, even as he sent his son to save souls. And now the church is here in the stead of Christ, in the place of Christ. And we're to have the power that Jesus had to heal, as well as the power of God in us to convict and save souls. And we're to provide for their temporal needs, even go so far as to sell our possessions and give to those in need. Luke twelve thirty three. I'm so eager for you today to get this view of the gospel. Jesus cares about a full and total redemption. He did not come to destroy the earth. 
Jesus didn't come just to save some souls and then let sickness and poverty and violence ravage the great mass of humanity. He didn't come to save a predetermined number of elect and then write off the rest of the world as a lost cause and then destroy the earth and start over. Jesus did not say, well, the devil got it and now the earth is a lost cause. There's nothing I can do to make the world righteous again. I can't make obedience to God the norm and disobedience the exception. There's nothing I can do to make mankind love me and love each other. There's nothing I can do to end sin on the earth. I'll just have to destroy it and start over. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save souls. He came to heal. There should not be poverty still on the earth if there is this continual advancement of the kingdom of God. We look at things like children having their eyes gouged out by ISIS and we say, why is it nearly 2,000 years after the cross and these children are having their eyes gouged out? This should not be happening. Jesus has destroyed, condemned, and cast out the devil. Those are the terms the Bible uses. Jesus came to save everything that was lost in the fall. And for this end, sin must be destroyed, and obedience to God must become the rule, must become the norm, because sin always leads to destruction. But obedience to God is love, it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I so wish and hope that you will catch today this vision of God's love and compassion for mankind, and if you catch it, you will have confidence to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to enter the kingdom of God with a burning zeal. And you'll do everything that you can in the power of God to save souls, to end suffering and poverty, to heal the sick, to end sin in society, and fundamentally to end sin in the human heart by turning them to God. Now, you may be saying to yourself, but I can't heal the sick. I can't either. That's the problem. And so I'll tell you what we're doing. We are waiting, as in the upper room, for the baptism of power and fire, purity. Yes, and we share this today because it is so key that you understand that this big picture of the kingdom, that this is the gospel. Because if that's not your understanding of the gospel, you won't have any motivation, you won't have any confidence to pray for that power. But when you see that this is the very purpose for which Jesus came, this is the reason why the earth is still going on, why God didn't end it 1,500 years ago. The reason this is all still going on is because Jesus is waiting for his servants to come to him and say, give me the power for service. I'm going to trade with the talents you've given me. I'm going to do business for you. I'm going to throw my entire being and self and life to the advancement of your kingdom. 
And so you can't take a position that says the gospel of Jesus Christ is what John preached. That's not the gospel. The gospel is very exciting. Let me read some scriptures to you. Matthew 4.23 And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. That's the gospel. Matthew 9.35 And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. In Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Yes, and so we see that the preaching of the gospel was always with the teaching and with the healing. And so when Jesus said that this gospel would be preached, the disciples were to understand that they would be doing what Jesus did. There was, there was none of this powerless Christianity that we see today that had never existed. And so we have to get our minds focused in what does the Bible say is the kingdom. And as I said, then that will give us the confidence and the perseverance in prayer to press in and to actually receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Alexandra, I did some research and found there are over a hundred instances of the word gospel in the New Testament. I've read all of those passages of scripture and not one time was the gospel referred to as repentance and forgiveness of sin. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven that you can now enter it and the way you enter it is to repent of your sins Jesus will remove those sins by the blood shed on Calvary remember what remember what Jesus said to John I'm sorry what Jesus said in John to Nicodemus it was you must be born from above so that you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does it mean to be born from above? To be born again. It's very clear. Literally, it means I am made into a new person. I am transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And the problem we're facing is that many of you are still in the kingdom of darkness and you repent and sin, repent and sin, repent and sin. Sin and repent. That wasn't even John the Baptist's message. The good news of the gospel is that we can leave behind our sin and the darkness and we can participate with God in this wonderful work of love and compassion and mercy. But we must have the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've looked at, at Bringle, who was the colonel in the Salvation Army. I've looked at Wesley. I've looked at Charles Finney. I've looked at Jonathan Edwards. In every case, every one of them will say the same thing. To do the work of the kingdom, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, and let me just say very simply, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. So very simply, we share this with you today, this big picture, this gospel, so that you can believe it. If you've never heard that God intends to bring his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven, then how can you believe it? But now you've heard it. And so you can then choose to believe, yes, Jesus is the king. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He is now in the process of through the church establishing his kingdom on the earth. And I'm going to give myself to him and give myself to that work and be a co-worker with God in bringing that kingdom. So what I am to believe, yes, my sins are forgiven, but what I am to believe is that the kingdom of God is now here and I can enter it and I can be a co-worker with Jesus in this wonderful work of salvation for men out of the great compassion and love that Jesus has for us. Now we're out of time today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. You can listen to this message again at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also watch us live on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is National Prayer Chapel. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Now, please, pray for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We must have a total change we must take on the work of a loving God who wants to save a wicked world. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. And I'm Alexandra Greenlee. Join us again tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory Great joy, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.